0: Welcome to worship, everyone, here at Springfield Church, the Brethren, and welcome those of you who are joining us online, as well. Not much in the way of announcements, just a couple reminders that uh, the newsletter is out. If you didn't get it in your mail, check your mailbox here. Uh, There might be a copy there, or you may have a copy in your email. Uh, we continue with Bible study on Tuesday nights. If you have a bulletin in front of you, you have all the login information you need right there. We have a Facebook Live session every Tuesday morning at 9.30. And we'll be having a church picnic on August the 30th following services. Um, more information will come out as we get closer Are there any other uh, announcements anyone would like to share today? Just a reminder that we have the offering plates in the back. This is also our two-cent Sunday. Um, So the two-cent Sunday offering is in the back as well today. Are there any joys or concerns anyone would like to share? Well, I invite you to prepare your heart for worship as we listen to the prelude today. If you'll pray with me, Holy Creator, loving God, you, I pray that you are with us as we gather to worship here today. Our hearts are laid with love and worry for our brothers and our sisters who need you for healing for loneliness, for comfort. We lift up especially Charlie. We're thankful he is young and we know that his bone will mend quickly. But we know he's in a position that isn't fun at an age where it's hard to understand what's happening. We pray for Alberta. We pray as she starts dialysis, she prepares herself for surgery, that she'll know your presence and that her body will heal quickly. We thank you for Bonnie's healing. She's come so far in such a short amount of time. We thank you for the kind hands of her loved ones who have been with her in this journey. We thank you for their presence. We pray for the future, for things that are unsure. We pray that your will is done. And that we will be able to understand what's coming and how it is better. Whether it's something that seems easy or something uncomfortable. We pray for your presence in those times of confusion. And for direction as we move. we thank you. We thank you that we can gather and worship you and that we can continue exploring our faith and what it means to live it. As we encounter the ancient words today, that we'll remember, it's okay. We make mistakes. We'll get better. thank you for all these things for one another even for warm weather full of flowers and grass and trees we pray all these things in the name of the son who was and is and will be again amen I invite you all to enjoy our special music for today
1: is it on now Very good. When Janice invited me to sing on Monday, and then she told me the title of the song, I can only imagine. It's probably the only song that I was in a truck driving, and Brandon would sing along to. So it was kind of neat to me. So hopefully, somewhere this song touches you. I also thought it might be weird if we uh, tried to wipe down the piano in between playing. (laughs) So I brought my own. I can only imagine What it will be like When I walk By your side I can only imagine What my eyes will see When you fade years before me, I can only imagine, yeah, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel, will I dance for you Jesus, oh in all of you be still, will I stand in your presence, To my knees will I fall, will I sing, hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, when that day comes, and I find myself, Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine Yeah I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory Will I dance for you, Jesus, or all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, up to my knees or will I fall? Will I sing a hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine, yeah, yeah, I can only imagine, I can only I can only imagine I can only imagine Yeah I can only imagine I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever Forever you. I can only imagine.
0: Mike, I think that's the first time I've heard you sing. We've been missing out. And I got it right this time. Mike. Today's scripture continues our story in Acts. We have actually jumped over a little bit, uh, over the story of Stephen, and we are now in the time after the church is driven from Jerusalem. There was a certain man named Simon, had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he amazed at them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as of yet, the Spirit had not come down upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon had seen that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying of hands by the apostles, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power so that anyone who has anyone on whom i lay my hands on will receive the holy spirit peter said to him may your silver perish with you because you thought you could attain the god's gift with money you have no part or share in this for your heart is not right before god repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that it is poss- that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness, in the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, "Pray for me to the Lord, and nothing that nothing that you have said may happen to me." Now after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem proclaiming the good news to the many villages of the Samaritans. I forgot to mention that's Acts 8, 9 through 25. I read from the New Revised today. This fellow was looking at his backyard and he had several dead trees that needed to be removed. He thought, I'll save myself some money and do it. However, he didn't have the right equipment. So he goes to the store. And the dealer says, look, I have lots of axes and saws and malls and wedges, just like you're looking for. But why don't you save yourself a lot of time? and aggravation, and instead get a top of the line model of this chainsaw. This chainsaw here will cut one hundred cords for you in one day. In case you're curious, a cord is hundred and twenty eight cubic feet of wood, or four feet by four feet by eight feet long. I had to look it up. I Honestly, talk about cords, and I never realized what exactly it was. So the man takes that chainsaw home and begins working on the trees. And after cutting for several hours, he has only two cords of wood. It's Still a lot of wood, but still only two. He decides to quit. He thinks, there's something wrong with this chainsaw. How can I cut for hours and hours and still only get two cords? I'll try again first thing in the morning so he gets up at four he goes out and he cuts and he cuts and he cuts all day and he only has five cords there's something wrong with this saw he says to himself so he takes it back to the dealer the dealer looks at it he opens it up he checks the sharpness everything it looks fine he says then he starts up the chainsaw. The man jumps. What's that sound? There were those who got it right away, and those I could watch it take just a moment to sink in. It's hard to condemn science in today's scripture, at least for me. He's new to his faith. He applies his understanding of the world to his new faith. He's like this man who only knew how to use an axe and handsaw, not understanding what a chainsaw is and how it works. Simon will not go down well into history. He actually ends up with a term for his name. They refer to it as simony. It means making the profit out of in sacred things or an ecclesiastic position or buying or selling sacred or ecclesiastical preferments or benefits or offices. Thank you, dictionary.com. This despite the fact that he actually says, I'm sorry. He realizes this is wrong and recants. Last week when I was Troubling my, my way through the story of Ananias and Sapphira, I talked about those worlds that we bring to the Bible, the world behind, in, and in front of. And here, we can see the world in front of our faith in, act, in the actual Bible. Simon bringing his understanding of how the world works and putting it between him and his faith. Okay, so Simon starts the story as someone well-respected. He's recognized by his Samaritan brothers and sisters as someone who's filled with the power of God. Someone to be respected. Now, the Samaritans are an interesting group. They claim to be the descendants of the tribes that come from Joseph. You know, Joseph, many colors, one of the brothers. In case you were ever curious, we talk about those 12 tribes of Israel, but it's the 12 tribal lands of Israel. There's 13 tribes. The 13th tribe being the Levites who never had their own land. Joseph was so important that he doesn't have a single tribe named after him. Instead, his two sons got their own tribes altogether. So when the northern tribe fell, the northern ten, the kingdom of Israel, falls to the Assyrians, those two tribes somewhat managed to survive. And they are Manasseh and Ephraim, along with the smattering of the Levites. So the Samaritans claim that after this fall of Israel, they survived, and they managed to live in this kind of hinterland area between Judah and Israel. They didn't get very along very well with the kingdom of Judah, with the people who would eventually become known as the Jews. I mean, it comes even from their name. They're Samarians. It's named after the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern ten tribes. They live around a mountain, even today, called Gerizim. Mountain, which back in Deuteronomy, Moses included in a series of blessings that the tribes were supposed to do once they came to the promised land. Eventually, as the tribes separated and became these two kingdoms, they built their own temple there to God. The same God, but I mean, if you were the ruler of your own nation and you had a temple system in which you brought money to pay for things which went to that temple, perhaps you would prefer to keep that temple in your own land so that the money stayed in your own land and not go to this stuck-up southern people of Judea. So that's what they did. They started their own temple, and that doesn't sit well with the people of Judah. And so... Things go on, and they get bitter, and they don't like each other. And that's where we are today's story. I mean, when we hear the word Samaritan, we usually have this really positive connotation with it. We all remember Luke's story about Good Samaritan. As every preacher who has ever stood in a pulpit, whenever they tell that story, they have to then talk about how radical that story would have sounded to everyone listening. So we just did that. Again, to remind us what's going on. Because for some strange reason, Philip breaks through. Don't really know why. Maybe it's because Philip is Philip. He's just one of those people that everyone just... Kind of it may be that the message Philip is preaching, this gospel, this good news... It's something that connects to the Samaritans in a deep way, but it works. And he builds an inroad with this Samaritan group. As an offside, it's not actually Apostle Philip. Uh, This is Philip the Evangelist. He's one of the seven deacons charged with caring for the community back in Acts 6. But he does well. And so many people join. One of those people happens to be this Simon, this leader of this community. They call him a sorcerer. He's amazed. He follows Philip around, helps him, tries his best to learn from him. And in this story, it's John and Peter who then come, who are actual full-blooded apostles. And they lay their hands upon the people and and bestow the Holy Spirit on them. The Holy Spirit comes in many different ways in Acts. This is how it works in this particular story. And that's when Simon asked if he could buy this ability so he too could bestow this gift. We're never told exactly why. I can hypothesize. I mean, he was someone highly respected within the community. Maybe he was afraid of losing that. He wanted to keep that. Maybe that's the whole reason he followed Philip around. He wanted to look like the number two person so that when Philip went on, he could be number one. Maybe it's simply he's used to caring for the community. He would have done things like healing. He would have done things like giving advice. And he doesn't want to not serve his community, to not continue that caretaking. It could be that he knows the apostles are going to eventually leave. I mean, they're not going to stay in Samaria. They're going home. He's got to make sure that somebody can still give the Holy Spirit because there's going to be join. And if not, there's going to be children who come. Perhaps he can't bring himself to trust these two men of Judah. After all, They've been fighting with them for nearly a thousand years. Peter corrects him, which is a lot more gentle than the last time he corrected anybody, but he corrects him. May you perish with your money. You thought you could buy God's gift. You will have no part of this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent. Pray for the, to the Lord for hope and forgiveness. I see you are still with bitterness and captive to sin. Whatever Simon's reasoning is, he realizes he made a mistake. And he steps back from this strong admonishment. Pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. He asked for forgiveness. He asked for a blessing from these two men. Up until this moment, Simon is the model convert. He's excited for his new faith. He wants to learn. He wants to understand. He wants to spread it. But Peter sees his soul still needs work. He has not let go of the ways of the world, ways that could seriously damage the church, that corruption that Peter so strongly reacted to in just a few chapters earlier. Weaknesses, desires, understandings of how things are supposed to work, getting between us and how God tells us things actually work. I remember. I remember stepping up onto the sand at the beach at camp, thinking, I'm going to be perfect from now on. From this moment on, I won't fight with my brothers. I'll always make the right decision. I will be blameless. Yeah, I don't know how long that lasted, only that it was very soon followed by a feeling of, oh I messed up. That was my day of baptism. It happened so quickly that I messed up. Sure, I was born into a new life, a member of the church, a public Christian. But I'm not perfect. Stepping into the water doesn't make you perfect. And I hope each day I get a little better, but I'm not going to ever probably get all the way there. Not until Jesus comes back. I'm not that unlike Simon. None of us are. See, we all want faith that's like a luxury car, a top-line Lexus, or a Porsche maybe. You know, you get in there. I almost said, you know, I wrote here, turn a key. But let's face it, cars at that level these days, none of them have keys anymore. You get in there, you sit down, push on the brake, you touch the button, car goes automatically good suspension. Bumps in the road are minimized. You don't even notice them. It's got great reliability, never breaks down. It's got a smooth transmission. You hardly notice it. Maybe even has those little flat paddles so you can trick yourself into thinking you have a little control. And when needed, a whole lot of horsepower. You can just push down on that accelerator and get through whatever life throws at you. And then when you're all done with your faith for the day, you just pull it on in into your nice garage. You cover it with that special cloth that was made just for your car's model. It's even got your initials monogrammed across it. Then you lock the garage and you turn on the security system so no one else can touch it. That's what we all want to have our faith like. But let's face it, that's not what most of us get. In fact, I would say beware of anybody whose faith is so effortless because life isn't straightforward, and that means that your faith needs to sometimes get battered around a bit. Faith is often much more like a 1980s prism or Corolla, or as my brother affectionately calls them, taco trucks, the old Toyota trucks, the old Tacomas, the ones that never die, you know. It smells like every fast food meal you have ever eaten in it. It's got cigarette burns on the console from your high school friend who thought it was cool and could hide it in your car. The uh, fabric on the ceiling is torn up. It's got rust patches all over, and you got to be really careful where you step in it because in some places, the only thing between you and the road is that carpet. But it keeps going. It's mostly held together with wire and duct tape. And you've got the hammer in the back in case you've got to knock something back into place. And of course, it's manual. It's on its like 20th clutch. It's got these sticking points. Now, you have been driving your faith long enough, you've probably have figured out where your sticking points are. Those things that get hung up as you're trying to go from one thing to another. It's not like when you started, you know, when you let off the gas a little too quick, or let off the clutch a little too quick and you stalled. You're always going with fits and starts. Even now with decades of practice, you sometimes find yourself not working the pedals quite right as you stall out into the middle of the Talmadge circle with 20 people behind you. Not that it hasn't happened this week. Simon is having a stall-out moment. He may be zealous in his faith in Jesus, but he hasn't quite understood how to make all four limbs work separately and in concert. His faith is going, fits, and starts. Today's title actually comes from my mother-in-law. I don't know if she's watching right now. Hi, Joyce. And it's describing me. It's not a commentary on my faith. It's a commentary on what it's like to be around Andrew Wenger 24 hours a day. You see, I have a tendency to kind of make sudden movements. Which often end in loud noises or messes and sometimes self injury. Um, it's just me jumping into whatever I'm doing and then that being countered by the fact that I'm a clumsy person, and rather absent minded most of the time. She started, she first mentioned it this week when we were talking and I was there and I, I, uh, don't even remember, I think I had an itch on my chin, and I just raised my hand up really quickly, and my ring cut the plate in front of me and threw everything everywhere and made a loud noise. Or like I dropped hot water on my foot the other day. Or the fact that when I walked through the living room, sometimes I managed to scatter every one of these toys. Or like that time in the kitchen where I earned this scar right here because I went and tried to catch a knife without thinking about it. Bad idea. Never catch a knife. Let it fall. It hurts. It's nothing new. When I was a youth, my group of friends would refer to it as wangering. It was always nice that someone else wangered something. And it wasn't me. But still, it was named after me. Now, fixing clumsiness. Absent-mindedness is not easy. I try, but it's not easy. More so, I've just gotten really good at cleaning up my messes quickly and treating my injuries as uh, quietly and quickly as possible. Like, the time I kind of tore my toe open, I didn't even tell anybody until I realized I really had to go to the hospital because it wasn't going to close itself. I've just gotten good at minimizing these things. Now, on reflection, thinking about all this, it's like faith. I've got a crunchy transmission box, and I've stalled from time to time. And I do apologize, today is heavy on the cars, but I think most of us here are old enough that we have at least driven one stick shift in our life. So we might get that. I've stalled myself. Not just in my little red car out there, but in my everyday life, in my faith, where suddenly I realize everything I've prepared for myself, everything I've believed, everything I thought was right, suddenly came against the World, or it suddenly came against the Bible and I stalled out. But I got a lesson that came out of Simon here. And it isn't the lesson that you shouldn't, you know, try to pay for an ecclesiastical position. That's a pretty good lesson, too. You shouldn't pay to earn a spot. Rather, it's don't get hung up on it, don't get up hung up on your mistakes, don't double down. It's just like if you stall your car in the middle of a Talmadge circle or anywhere, to be honest. It's not like you sit there and get angry at the car and yourself. No. You punch down the clutch, you turn the car off, you turn the car on, and you go. You don't sit there stalled out. You don't sit there and don't move. You turn the car on. You get your faith going again. We're not told what happens to Simon after this. I like to believe that he got moving again, that this slip-up didn't injure his faith, that this slip-up didn't keep him from being all that Jesus called him to be. So be like Simon, at least the idealized Simon that I am projecting on this scripture. When you make the mistake, when your life is moving with fits and starts, realize it. You've made a mistake. That's okay. You'll get better the next time. Hopefully you'll let off the gas, I mean let off the clutch a little more gently and push the gas just a little harder. You still might not get it right. I remember learning to drive stick. I didn't get it right after the first time I got it right. I still make mistakes to this day when I'm not paying attention, especially, or I'm paying too much attention. That's the way it is with faith. You still make mistakes. You still try to make the world work, to make your faith work. According to what you think it's supposed to work. Maybe if I just pray a little harder. Maybe if I just do this one good thing, it'll even out for that. It's not how faith works. Faith works because you keep trying at it. You make an adjustment, you try a little better. It's about the journey. Not how you get there. It's about the journey itself and living into that beat up old jalopity of a car. I've always liked, and I don't, I'm remembering this quote as I'm getting here, I didn't write into the sermon, but I wish I did. But there's this old quote about, you know, when you come in at the end of your life, and this works well because it's a car quote, it's, you don't want to pull gently into the parking spot. You want to come careening down the street, coming in sideways with smoke shooting off your wheels, screeching and making horrible sounds underneath your dashboard as your car slides in between the other cars into that perfect parallel spot, which you don't know how you did. That's how life is supposed to be. You're supposed to be coming careening into it, living into whatever that car, wherever that faith has taken you. Because a car that's been that beat up and still survived, that's a faith worth living. Thank you. As you go out today into this world, I pray you don't stall. I pray you don't make a mistake, because who wants to make a mistake? But when you do, because inevitably we all make mistakes, I pray that you will find God's grace is right there, ready to say, it's okay to start the car again. You're all right. Forgiveness is always just reach. May you go out into this world this week ready to make mistakes and be forgiven. Amen.